Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey there, joystick wagglers. Can you believe it? We're racing towards the end of Series 2 of Games Master. It's been a fun time on the games rig, but it's almost time to head into the Games Master Academy and hang out with Dexter Fletcher for a series. But we can't round off Series 2 without hearing from you fine folks. So get in touch with your feedback for Series 2 of Games Master by emailing feedback at underconsultation.com with either an MP3 or written word, and it will be featured on the show, which will go out at the end of October. Let us know your favourite episodes, challenges, celebrities, features, and all your least favourite moments in between. Send your message to feedback at underconsultation.com or find us on social media at underconsolepod on Twitter or at under.console on Instagram. Enjoy the episode. Rig. This is Under Consultation, an episode-by-episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, and yes, it does get a bit hairy down there. And serving up an intoxicating cocktail of opaque opinions, I am Ash Versus. This episode aired on the 18th of February 1993, and we've got a new film at the top of the box office. It's Shadow and Fog. <laughs> expect the killer to strike again tonight. The killer? What killer? The strangler. What strangler? The maniac. What kind of explanation could you possibly have? You're naked in the closet with my sister. We're getting closer to the zero hour. Yes, so so what do I do? Don't you know? No, everybody has a plan. I'm the only one in town that, that doesn't know what he's doing. Mr. Spiro is on the verge of revealing the killer. What is this man saying? If anyone is killed or hurt as a result of your incompetence, I don't know enough to be incompetent. Yes, it's a film that was released in 1993. <laughs> Which is good because it's only at the top of the charts for one week. Actually, next week is a bit of a belter that I'm really looking forward to talking about. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Right? But, Ash, 
after seemingly forever of series two, we have a new song at the top of the charts. Glory! And it's basically, basically going to be with us until the end of this series as well. I think we've got one, like the final week we get another new song, but I don't care. I don't care this time around because it's too unfucking limited. No fucking limits. Techno, 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 techno. <laughs> now, we got a few weeks to discuss the song and we don't want to burn out too quickly like we did with Whitney. Although, to be honest, even the most diligent of Houston fans would have burnt out by the end <laughs> of that title run. But let's talk a little bit about Too Unlimited. They were a Dutch dance act founded by Belgian producers and they were formed in Amsterdam. The original lineup from 91 to 96 was Ray Slingard and Dutch vocalist Anita Doth. During that four or five year period, they had 16 chart hits globally. Oh, yes. They included Get Ready for This, Twilight Zone, No Limit, and Tribal Dance. They sold 18 million records worldwide. And I tell you what, there is one of those songs I just mentioned that is going to have a double impact for us. Do you know which song that is? Which one is it? It's Twilight Zone, because that was sampled and remixed by The Immortals, a Belgian (gasps) band, and became... But we're not going to talk too much about Mortal Kombat now because guess what? Start of season three, we got a whole lot of Mortal Kombat to oh, cover over. So much Mortal Kombat to cover on that episode. Uh, I I love this song. We're actually going to get some two unlimited action as well on Games Master. They are celebrity guests in series three, so uh, we get to see, like see them in person. I'm really looking forward to the number ones over the next season because I think this is the point when I am becoming more musically aware. I took a sneaky look ahead and found myself thinking, oh, I know that one and that one and that one and that one. And I really like them. I had the album that this uh, song features on. It was bought for me by my nan. Uh, I assume at like a um, a service station, like more like the WH Smiths, where they got like the, you can buy the cassettes and stuff. It, I just, like that's what it always springs to mind is is listening to this album on cassette on my Walkman, going up to see my nan up in uh, Scalmersdale. So I've got very very fond memories of not just this song, which is a fantastic song, but the band and the album itself. I'm not even like a dance head, but oh, it's, it is good though. My main lingering and kind of embarrassing memory of this song is around this time, not only was I into video games and starting to gain more of an interest in music, but I was also still in my first real round of being a wrestling fan, mm. as were some of the people I used to hang out with. And one of them had parents that basically didn't give a damn what you did in the bad garden, so, <laughs> backyard wrestling. <laughs> and three guesses, Luke, what my first entrance theme was. Was it No Limits? It absolutely was, because you know what? It's a banger. <laughs> That's going to get your energy pumping. Isn't it just? If no one's using No Limit today as a wrestling entrance theme somewhere in the world, I would be surprised. Well, we've got a few more weeks of that, Ash. And I'll be honest with you, I cannot actually wait to discuss this song even more because I could dedicate an entire episode section here just to talk about the music video, which is awesome. It is. I put it up on YouTube earlier. And I mean, we've got a few weeks. Let's discuss the music video as we get a little bit towards the end of the series. 
Absolutely. Uh, before we get into the magazines, there's a big game released in this week in Japan. Obviously, we're not going to get it here for a little while, but it is a landmark release for the Super Nintendo. In this week, in 1993, Star Fox is released for the Super Nintendo. It absolutely is. We will talk about it later. In fact, we'll talk about it a little bit right now because it's February 18th. That means that Games Master Issue 3 is on the shelves, the cover which contains an illustration for Mutant League Football, and right on the inside is a double-page advert heralding the arrival of Star Fox. Amazing. Amazing no. time. Oh, no, that's right, because we got it was Lilac Wars. No, it was Star Wing. Lilac Wars was the Nintendo 64 version. That's it. Much like Nintendo originally advertised the Super Nintendo in the UK with the American colour scheme, this advert is for Star Fox. And to be specific, Star Fox with no O, because it says, we've left nothing out. Nothing meaning O. Mm. It's a wordplay. It really doesn't have anything <laughs> to do with the game. But it does say at the bottom, with a sense of realism and speed only possible with the totally new, totally revolutionary Super FX chip, Star Fox is the future. And oh, yes. they were right. Yeah. Uh -huh. Because this was a mainstream 3D game and it was accessible. Yeah. I can't help but think, can you imagine if this chip had been developed a few years earlier and had been shipped as part of the console? Yeah. I think the video game world as we know it today would be very, very different. Mm -hmm. I think Nintendo would hold a different place because whilst they are makers of some of the top-selling game hardware and they are very accessible and they have found a market to exist in today that doesn't rely on being the latest and greatest with the technology. Mm -hmm. If they'd shipped the Super Nintendo with an FX chip inside it, I reckon that they would actually be way ahead of the curve. I'm not sure Sony would exist as a separate brand. I think that the original idea of the Sony Nintendo PlayStation may have gone ahead. It may have been a very different machine. I think Microsoft would have still entered the gaming market in the way it has with the Xbox. Oh, yeah, totally. But I also think that Sega would now occupy the hardware market that Nintendo does. I think they'd have still made the same mistakes because the Saturn was already underway. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely it was. And there was already that infighting between Sega of America and Sega of Japan over the Saturn. And like, the, you know, because Tom Kalinske was like, let's just plow forward with the Mega Drive or the, the Genesis. They had it because it was selling so well. But Japan was like, no, 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 we're moving ahead with the Saturn. So, yeah, I think they still would have had the complete implode. Man, we could completely fantasy rebook the entire console war based on that concept. And who knows, we'll run out of episodes at some point. <laughs> Maybe we'll do that. But I'll tell you what else there is. There's a double page advert for the action replay, including, oh, look, an action replay for the Master System. Ah, yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I, nearly, I nearly took that whole section out when we did the edits. I tell you what, we'd have had words if you had. <laughs> we'd have had words. Don't worry, I'm sure there'll be a chance for you to gain redemption in a future rumor section. <laughs> To be honest, I, it was worth it because I realized I could put the Family Fortunes sound effect in. And the fact that I kept getting them wrong as well means I got to use that sound effect over and over again. With suffering comes comedy. We all know it, Luke. <laughs> you know, so while we're sticking the knife in, and uh, just to round out this little section, because we do have an entire month to get through with this magazine, one of the articles, one of the rumors that was in that quiz was to do with the Supergun. Yeah. Huh? And there is an article in here actually picturing 
what the super gun looks like and giving a bit more information. The article says that SNES and Mega Drives are all very well, but there's nothing to beat the thrill of owning a real arcade game. There's something big about them, and that's something that we've discussed in the past, particularly when it comes Mm -hmm. to things like Neo Geo games just feeling meaty. Yeah. Unfortunately, they always come with a price big enough to shatter all but the most affluent gamers' dreams. Now, however, console concepts may have a solution. It's called a super gun, and it enables you to play arcade-printed circuit boards through your own SCAR TV. What this means is that you can buy the arcade games themselves without forking out for a cabinet, monitor, and joystick each time. The boards vary wildly in price, but the rule of thumb is that the older the game, the cheaper the board. Boy, that's changed nowadays. Mm-hmm. While you can pick up some old classics from your local arcade from as little as £80, the brand new spanking Street Fighter 2 Champion Edition will cost you £375. Wow! Bloody hell! The Super Gun itself costs £300 and comes complete with two Apollo 6-button joysticks. We'll have a full review next month. In the meantime, you can get more information from Console Concepts on phone number, which I won't read out, primarily because it starts with 07, so there's a good <laughs> chance it would go to someone's mobile number now. You have joined us once more on Games Master's Nautical Holiday Camp. I've just been up on the helipad where the North Sea breeze has blown in another whopping chopper full of guests. All of them are desperate to find out Games Master's first challenge, so while I slip into something a little bit smoother... Let's go over to the great man himself. Well, apparently a whopping chopper has come in for this week's show as Dominic Diamond comes out. And like, is it just me? Or did he come out and almost like rip open the jacket a little bit to be like, oh, I'm here. Yeah, he gets in your face. He also says he's going to change into something a bit more smooth, which I'm thinking, hang on, you're wearing your red coat uniform underneath the, the waterproofs and the oil slicks. Also, are you going to get much more smoother than a kind of waterproof jacket? They're Teflon coated as it is. Well, he knows that E17 are on this show and he doesn't want to be shown up by those kids. Yes, E17. We'll get to them later. <laughs> yes, we will get to them. But first up, what we're we playing for our first challenge, Games Master? Welcome to the fount of game paying wisdom on this stormy Thursday night. For my first challenge tonight, I've chosen to tax your brain cells with a puzzle game called Tomatoes. The object is strategically to place platforms and pans in order to guide the tomatoes across the screen to the conveyor belt on the right. Precision and coolness under pressure are very much in order for this challenge, particularly as I am only allowing one minute to complete the task. Good luck to you. Playing Bill's Tomato game. It's not, I mean, this looks like a Flash game, to be honest, uh, in this very dark and stormy night for Games Master. It's actually, it's quite fortuitous that we're recording this now because at the time of this recording is when we're getting these sort of tropical storm things that are going over the UK. And it's, it is gloomy outside. So it's actually quite atmospheric to watch this episode of Games Master and see Games Master have that stormy night with what's going on outside my window. And the great thing is, it means if any thunder intrudes on either of our recordings, we just leave it in because it's atmosphere. <laughs> oh, the board game. We'll definitely get to that later. <laughs> Once we're able to share a room, you and me, we're playing some atmosphere, boy. Oh, yes. Uh, so, yeah, so Bill Samarta game. I, I, I've never heard of this before. Well, it's a Psygnosis game. It was published in 92 for the Atari ST and Amiga, and the game concept came from Bill Pullen, who designed it. He had some help along the way with Lee Karras Westcott providing the artwork and Mike Clark providing the music. And you may have become more familiar with it if the planned Mega Drive port had gone ahead. Huh. But it was cancelled. However, a prototype cart was found 
and a ROM rip was released back in 2014. Yeah, that does surprise me. It doesn't look like it would have belonged on the Mega Drive, though, in, in some sort of weird way. Like, as I said at the start of this, it feels very much like a Flash game. If you'd have told me that this was like, you know, someone had found this in the future and had brought it back from Newgrounds, uh, I probably would have believed you. It also looks like some of these weird slicing or puzzle games that you see advertised on Facebook a lot of going, oh, go and yeah. download this for your iPhone. It also reminds me of a game, and I think it was called The Incredible Machine or Incredible Machines, where you had to put different pieces in different places and different contraptions and fans and whatnot to make yeah. a working solution. I mean, this is a mobile game that was made in 1992. I mean, unlike a lot of mobile games, it does actually have a plot. Really? Yeah, the game requires the player to guide Terry. He's a tomato. Mm -hmm. He has to go up the vine of Sammy Squirrel, who I think was on loan from Red Dwarf, if I remember correctly, <laughs> yeah. and rescue his girlfriend Tracy, Tracy Tomato. Mm -hmm. Same surname, no relation. Very well, important, uh, no relation. No, no. But yeah, Terry had to rescue Tracy from the squirrel's villainous clutches. I don't remember squirrels being particularly fond of tomatoes, but we'll roll with it. Mm-hmm. The vine consisted of 10 worlds of 10 levels each. Oh, that's actually a good amount of levels of puzzles. That that's 100 levels. Yeah, yeah. They all consisted of numerous obstacles he had to overcome using the help of various items aka fans or trampolines, which is what we see being used in the footage playing behind Games Master to introduce this challenge. And apparently, originally, as mentioned here, it was just called Tomato Game. But by the time of release was Bill's Tomato Game. Do you know what? This should have been a tie-in for Red Nose Day. Yeah, absolutely it should have been. The branding is there. It makes way more sense than Sleepwalker does. And do you know what? If they'd done that, I bet you we'd be going, oh, yeah, I remember Tomato Game. I remember Red Nose Day Tomato Game. Don't remember that Sleepwalker, though. Don't remember that. It looks yeah. like a Flash game. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we figured this challenge is quite easy. So what we're going to do is throw it out to one of our campers out here on the rig. So if anyone fancies the chances at the tomato game, please stick your hands in the air. Okay, with Christopher Smoke. Definitely not you. Nope, too ugly. What about up the top here? Yes, there's a woman there, a girl there with dark hair. That's right, you there. Yes, if you'd like to make your way down. Give a round of applause for our volunteer. Oh, welcome. Okay, thank you. All right, what's your name? Helen. Helen, Hel Helen Williams, okay. Um, where are you from, Helen? East London. All right, now you heard Games Master's little introduction. You know roughly what you've got to do. We don't want to tell you too much more than that. It's basically a test of your intelligence. How's your grey matter these days? Got me through so far, but it's slipping a bit, you know. All right, then. Well, let's hope it doesn't slip too much. Well, Dominic thinks this is quite easy, so it's time for an open challenge, and he picks a girl with dark hair and wonderful 90s bangs. And these are, these are some ace 90s bangs. And I know my bangs because my wife, whenever she ties her hair up, still does the 90s bangs. And every time she does it, I'm like, very lovely in 90s of you. But anyway, this is Helen Williams from East Landon. Uh, Dominic doesn't want to give her too much information, doesn't want to give too much of the game away, even though when she actually gets around to playing this game, she's 100% played this game before. Yeah, she she knows exactly what she has to do to complete the level. And any any attempt to make this a complete blind play doesn't land very successfully. Absolutely not. Uh, and he asks her how the grey matter is these days because it's a bit of a puzzly game. It's gotten her this far. I was trying to work out how old she's meant to be because she's definitely not a teenager. 
No. I'd say mid-twenties, maybe? Early to mid-twenties? I would say so. This feels like someone who was either dating or was related to one of the production crew or something and sort of got invited down for the day uh, and was sort of picked out to do this task. Or taking a younger sibling. Yeah, that's also a good shout, yeah. Because we've had that kind of volunteer picked from the audience that was actually a parent or guardian before. Yes, right, yeah. And helping me through this taxing challenge of intelligence is everybody's favourite pro, Dave Perry. Welcome, Dave. Hi, Tom. Now, Dave, OK, we, we haven't given too much away about this game. She's really got to, got to feel her way through it. Any tips you can give her, though? Yeah, it's an infuriating game that relies heavily on trial and error, so it's just try as many different ways to solve the challenge as possible. So Helen has one minute to get the tomato from the bottom left corner of the screen to the conveyor belt at the middle right-hand side of the screen using any of the objects available. Helen, are you ready? Your one minute begins now. But whilst Helen limbers up, Dom goes up to the commentary position and is joined by everyone's favourite pro, Dave Perry. Yeah, I was going to say, speaking of needing parental guidance, we've got Dave Perry in the booth here, uh, who calls it an infuriating game that's all about trial and error. And and that is that does ring true watching the game because it is all trial and error. But people might think that me saying it looks like a mobile game is a disparaging thing. I think mobile games are actually very, very good, particularly if they've had some thought put behind them. And I like that this is very much trial and error. The time limit, because there's only a one minute time limit, really does sort of ramp up the tension because old Helen doesn't get anywhere near completing this task until about 10 seconds left. No, I mean, from the off, she immediately goes and grabs a fan, which is the first giveaway that she actually knows what she's doing in this game because she cycles through the available objects and is like, nope, fan, great. Not just one fan, two fans. Yeah. And launches the first tomato off to see where he lands. Now she knows, she gets a trampoline. She places a trampoline. She launches another tomato, sees where that one lands. Now she places another trampoline, but she also places a third fan. See, my thinking behind this was either A, she knew that she had to have three fans there in order to get it across, or in the moment she thought, I'm going to need a second fan to still propel it across when it hits the second trampoline. Tramampoline. Tramampoline! Tramampoline indeed. And I don't think this is the first level. So maybe she'd also played some other levels. Maybe they'd mm-hmm. let her play the game on other levels so she'd experienced the joy of the fan-trampoline combo before and therefore had an idea what she was working towards. She does have a really tense moment where for no reason that I could discern what worked with launching a tomato before suddenly causes the tomato to launch straight into the blades and it's ketchup time. Poor old Terry. But she recovers, she doesn't fluster too much and she repositions the fans and then she repositions the trampolines and she launches another tomato, bounce, bounce, but gets caught by the flame that's patrolling along the ground. This was a genuine (gasps) moment for me while watching this because she does that with about six seconds left on the clock. It's in the trampoline. When she thought, I was like, ah, bang, she's straight in there with only a couple of seconds left to go. And she gets caught by that like leaping fire thing. And I was like, oh no. But quick as a flash, she launches off a second one to uh, to get Terry onto the conveyor belt and to safety with like milliseconds left on the clock. It wasn't quite at zero because we've had zero second challenges, but it was a one second challenge. And yeah, it's a logic puzzle to watch. And it wasn't exciting for the first 40 to 45 seconds. Mm-hmm. But the last 15 seconds were great, <laughs> especially the unexpected flambe. As soon as that hit, it suddenly got very, ooh. Yeah, I know, ooh. right? Yeah. I may well go and track this game down because this is the sort of game 
that I really like. It's not so much my jam. It is definitely more my ketchup. <laughs> Very good. Right. Helen, that was absolutely brilliant. It was so tight at the end. Were you, were you worried at all? Did it ever get a little bit hairy down there? Yeah, it did. I was a bit freaked out when it got splattered on the fan. That was, so you only had a couple of seconds left there. But it is, we're lucky it's all smiles at the end. Back in series one, when we had Annabelle Croft on this show, uh, we had what I thought might have been the dirtiest joke that we had on Games Master, which is when he insinuated that Annabelle was going to go and masturbate with the uh, Games Master golden joystick. I don't think he insinuated it. I think he <laughs> I mean, flat yes. out stated it. Big now, diamondism in neon letters. I think this might be an even filthier joke because Dominic says to this poor lass, does it get a bit hairy down there? Now, there's two ways to take this, matron. <laughs> the first is he's referring to pubic hair. The second of which is technically she was at a lower level. She was also seated. And from his position in the commentary box, he was above. And towards the end of the challenge, in the parlance of the term, it did indeed get a bit hairy down there. And it certainly did. And the only possible reason I think maybe this wasn't meant to be as filthy as it came across is because Dominic isn't smirking that much. <laughs> and when he delivers a filthy line, he smirks. He knows. I mean, we saw that with the, the Annabelle Croft lines. Like, he knew what he was saying. I will give him half a pass, but dear Lord, yes, it was filthy. It was also funny. I was going to say, I wrote here, oh, Dominic. <laughs> But Helen said she was a bit freaked out when it splattered on the fan, aren't we all? <laughs> and Dominic noted that there were only a few seconds left and we're lucky it was all smiles at the end. And she, yep, she wins the Games Master Golden Joystick and the outro for this is clearly a link that was recorded from something else. Yet another happy camper leaps enthusiastically back to his cabin. Because Dominic refers to her as a man. Yeah, that one stuck out a bit. But we are at the end of the series, and if they realise that some of the takes they had didn't work for that linking segment or for the review section they were going into, too late to film anything. They were just going to have to recycle and reuse what they had, which, as we discussed a couple of episodes ago, meant an entire intro was reused. Video games have been around for so long now, we decided this week's category would be classic games. First up, Track and Field. The game that blistered many an arcade addict's digits comes to the Game Boy in a seven-event button-battering situation. The graphics are some of the best I've seen on the Game Boy, I think. There's not a lot of blurring behind you when you're running, swimming, etc. You could argue there's plenty of variety in there. There's 12 levels, you can have a couple of players. But once you've played each level a couple of times, you decide it's completely irrelevant. The big problem is that it's very, very easy. Um, on my first go, I got all the way through to the end. And uh, after that, what was the point of playing it? It's classic games in the review zone this week with Andy Hutchinson from Amiga Format, Jazz Rignall, the jazz man from Mean Machines, and James Collette, who we saw back in episode 17. And up first, it's button mashing aplenty, track and field on the Game Boy. Now, I like that they said classic games because my brain immediately went, well, this is retro before it was retro. Although yeah. these are modern releases, of classic games because track and field started back in 1983 it's a konami game it got a license in 1984 for the summer olympics so it became an officially licensed game and then it was licensed and re-released again as track and field barcelona by chemco in light of the 1992 summer olympics 
this game's had some mileage and that it was really also has. the point at which it got released for the game boy it looks good on the game boy as well it looks like the sprites are really big and nice the animation's really good james collette nails it in one when he says that there is very little motion blur because man game boy sucked for motion blur oh yeah it's one of the oddest things i've had about playing game boy games on my chineseum console or other like portable emulators is looking at it and going where's the motion blur do you know what it's funny we brought him up a couple of episodes back uh but stop skeletons from fighting uncle derek did his uh donkey kong country ports and he talked about the donkey kong country land series of games that are on the game boy that all had like this ridiculous level of motion blur that makes it really hard to play and it was interesting watching him play it and talk about it because i was thinking like well i played this when i was younger and it didn't seems to i didn't notice it then but yeah i've since gone back and tried to play it and bloody hell it is art well we're old now luke yeah i suppose so eyes are failing thumbs are getting creaky <laughs> we're not long for this world <laughs> and he says that there's a lot to do in the game but once you've done it there's kind of no need to do it again which jazz sort of echoes saying that it's too easy and what's the point in playing it for a second time 57 percent for track and field now he said that he got all the way through this on his first playthrough i reckon that is in part because he's played track and field before there is no way jazz rignall has got to this point in his career and not played this game on at least four different platforms yeah so he is an experienced masher he can mash with the best of them he 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 has the calluses to prove it next up drop zone the ancient archer mclean c64 classic comes to the nes it's a defender style shoot em up with infinite levels of increasing irksomeness it's basically a sideways scrolling shoot em up shoot everything uh, there's not a lot of variation in the, in the levels but they just get faster and they get harder this is sort of an old style game i mean there's not like loads of variety in it but there's something about it. It's really addictive. If you think you're a hard shoot 'em up fan, then check this out. Up next on the NES, it's Drop Zone. Uh, James basically just describes the game that we're playing uh, with Jazzman, adding that it is addictive, and Andy saying that it's for hard shoot 'em up players. A very respectable 87% for Drop Zone on the NES. Drop Zone. I still love this game today. It's another Archer McLean game. It was again from 1984. It was way it's back in that old ass game. Yeah, and it was originally released for the uh, for eight bit Ataris. There was also a Commodore 64 version, and then later there was this Nintendo port. Now this Nintendo port only existed in Europe. It was hmm. never released in America or Japan for the NES, but. The ROM, as it's been extracted from the cartridge and people have dug around in it, as they are wont to do, have found certain assets that would have only been used in an NTSC version. So clearly they were prepared for it. Uh, yeah. The music was in there because for an NTSC version, the music would either be at a different speed or it wouldn't sound right. So they, they had to make changes. But I can understand why this was only released in Europe because this is the end of the NES and its life cycle. And whilst the Super Nintendo was still minty fresh for us here in the UK, it was way past it over there in America. And I suspect most publishers looked at a game as old as Drop Zone and thought the chances of us selling this now versus even other games that were late entries for the NES, non-existent. Not going to happen. No. Not going to happen, mate. Next up, Paperboy 2. In the politically correct sequel, you can be a paper girl as well, as you bunny hop and lob lurid tabloid tales through windows 21 levels long. At first, I found this uh, quite a good game. 
but I definitely only mean at first. Bland graphics, twee sound, the kind of collision detection that they could have improved on a digital watch. This is one game to avoid. And lastly, Paperboy 2 has gone woke and they've added a girl to it. You can play as a lady character now. Uh, James says that it's good at first. And Andy says you could have improved the hit detection on a digital watch. This gets 32%. Now, Paperboy 2 on the NES gets absolutely destroyed. And it's a shame because I think I remember liking Paperboy 2. Yeah, right? But I would never look at it and go, well, this is leaps and bounds above the original because it was more of the same with the ability to choose either to play as a paper boy or a paper girl. Plus, there were certain actions mid-level that you could do or certain requirements. And if you did that, then you would activate kind of newspaper photos and certain things like foiling a bank robbery or Mm. other such kind of ludicrous actions that a paper boy would never really be able to do just by lobbing a newspaper very multifaceted were the paper boys you don't even get paper boys now i mean do you barely get news agents now no did you have a paper round when you were a kid no i mean there was no way to deliver newspapers too i lived in (laughs) i lived in the countryside Uh, i did have a paper round uh from the age of i think 13 i think i had a paper round out of my local news agents and i had it for quite a few years actually eventually worked my way up to getting paid 14 pounds a week for my paper round which i would then promptly take into town and spend all at once i used to go to either rusty's records and uh spend the money there or uh, one time we went into quarks to um use their internet cafe for a little bit and play i think we played counter-strike so it was a little bit later on in my paperboy life but it also was a bit of an entrepreneurial thing for me because when the uh the news agent's owner's back was turned i used to steal copies of the porno mags and sell them at school wow look at you breaking the law breaking the law you look so innocent I know, I know. It's to sell them. I, I sold them for two fifty each, which is obviously was low, you know less than what the uh, the sticker price was, or five pounds if it came with a video. And did you not have hedges where you grew up? Because <laughs> that's where all the porn at school came from for me. It was found in hedges and ditches. Apparently, I was Larry fucking King. <laughs> Larry Flint. Larry Flint. Larry. I mean, or or, or Larry King. <laughs> Um, yeah, so 32% for Paperboy 2 on the NES, which I went back and looked at. This is our lowest score on Games Master thus far. I did think that. I meant to go and check it, and I'm glad you did, because I couldn't think of any game that scored this low. I think 40 is where we've been yeah, before so now. we had Geisha on the Amiga in Series 1. Episode 10 of Series 1 got 41%. Yeah. Now it's time for all viewers with handpiece problems to breathe a collective sigh of relief as we look at four of the latest innovative joysticks. First up, the creme de la creme of Street Fighter 2 controllers, the Top Fighter. This joystick's programmable, so I can activate the special moves just by touching one button. Here I'm doing Fireball, it's a Hurricane Kick, and there's Dragon Punch. This makes it far simpler, which is a great help. And it's new joysticks once again in the feature zone. It's great to have the features back, actually. Um, and up first, it's Top Fighter with uh, Kate Hoare saying that it's programmable. So you can input the moves and just do it with a tap of the button. And she shows off that skill to make it far simpler. 70 quid uh, for Top Fighter for the SNES. 70 quid to not suck at a fighting game. 
Sounds fair <laughs> enough. It is a solid arcade-style stick of the sort of design favoured by various fighting tournament types today, albeit they would not have a programmable fighting stick. Man, that'd be, oh, scandal. Absolutely scandalous. And also, I guess nowadays I look at that stick and I think 70 quid, that's not actually that bad. Although, just for inflation, that would probably be a solid three-figure yeah. kind of oh, stick. Yeah, easily three figures, yeah. Next up, something to really get your hands around, the free flight. This is an analog joystick, so it gives you more control than a digital one would. They're calling it a virtual joystick because it's the nearest thing that you can get to real flying. The more I tilt the joystick to the right, the more it banks gradually to the right, and the same with if I do it to the left. The joystick's really brilliant to use, but I'm not too sure about the shape of it. It looks a bit rude. It's the free flight up next, which I would wager is only on this show because it looks like a dildo. It looks a lot like a dildo. And just in case we didn't think it looked like a dildo, (laughs) Trudy Hardingham makes sure we know that it looks quite rude. Now, this is a basic motion sensor. It's fairly similar to that steering wheel that we saw being used on an Amiga racing game in that it's got a series of sensors and mercury switches and whatnot inside. And you tilt it around... It's more sensitive than a digital joystick. Well, it would be. Mm-hmm. And she demonstrates it by banking to the right and then banking to the left. Cloud goes <laughs> up, cloud goes down. Cloud goes up. She says it's the nearest you can get to, like, really flying. Uh, I'm not sure how true that is at the time, based on what other joysticks may be available for flight simulators, but it was certainly novel. Also, if I got into a plane and the pilot had this thing that was not attached to anything and was just waving it around, I'd be terrified to be on that flight. Give it time. Soon enough, there won't be any joysticks at all in airplanes, and guess what? You will be justifiably terrified. Finally, leave your hands free to wander with the free spirit. It's a joystick and a cap. If I tilt it upwards... I'll climb up and down, I'll dive downwards. People think flight simulators are dull, they're wrong. This cat makes it much more exciting. Now you said the free flight joystick was quite sensible, which I would certainly agree with. It's certainly more sensible than the free spirit, which is a f***ing cap. I cannot find, at time of recording, any evidence that this thing actually f***ing existed. (laughs) I have tried searching, I've tried googling, I've tried reverse image searches. I've stopped short of going through PC and Amiga and Atari magazines searching for it because I wouldn't even know when to start because even when we get to the end, everything is TBC. They can't tell us when it's out, where to get it, or how much it will cost. It looks like someone stuck a small plastic box from Tandy on a baseball cap. Yeah, I'll be honest, I thought this was a joke. But what's not a joke is the person reviewing it, Devika Ponabalam. She is a future director and writer of one of your favourite soap operas, Hollyoaks. <laughs> so this is right at the beginning where she essentially moves her head around on camera and at one point does look like she's actually just falling asleep. <laughs> Which is a really nice bit of trivia because the last time we had a feature that was about joysticks had Tony from Hollyoaks on it. Who knew that Games Master and Hollyoaks existed in the same cinematic universe? <laughs> what we have found is that Games Master has actually facilitated Hollyoaks and Star Wars. Well, that's enough talk of dildos and Hollyoaks, although some people might say that's one and the same. It's time for a celebrity challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? Hello again. For the evening's second challenge, we enter the disturbing, war-ravaged world of Contra 3. As machine gun-toting Rambo figures, our next competitors will need to get through the game's difficult first level 
without losing more than four lives. Show no mercy and um, do watch your dead ears. Holy shit, we're playing Contra 3 and it's called Contra 3. At this time, I'm fairly certain Super Pro Protector was already out. Although, actually, no, it wasn't when they recorded it. Yeah. This was hanging out the top of a Super Nintendo on an adapter, probably with a copy of Super Tennis used to boost it off the back <laughs> as a as the chip bypass. Or maybe they just had an NTSC SNES. SNES. Yeah, I'd imagine they did do because the uh, Bob Holness's grandson uh, in his article said that they had an American SNES in the green room where they was playing Street Fighter. So most likely they just had an, an NTSC SNES. That ug- ugly, ugly, grey, blocky box that it was. I know one person that actually prefers that design to the Japanese or European Super Famicom, Super Nintendo design. And there's many things that me and this person disagrees on. And this is the one thing that I struggle to get past. <laughs> like politics, fine. But that ugly chunk of shit, no. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you got to get through the first round without running out of lives. Uh, Contra 3, or Pro Protector 3 as we would know it here, is, man, it's a hard-as-balls game. Like, this is tough. Like, it's on the SNES Mini, and I've played it quite a few times. I'm I'm not very good at this. I, I don't think I've got the quick enough reflexes for it. I'm slightly better at Super Pro Protector for the very simple reason that it was slower. <laughs> yeah. But playing Contra 3 at NTSC speed, I'm not so great. I'm actually not too bad at level one because I played it enough. Once you get beyond <laughs> level one, no, not so good. But my overwhelming memories of this game are the mutant dogs and the ability to stand legs akimbo with a gun either side shooting into the (laughs) air because you know what there are very few situations in the game where that's actually useful but it's fun as hell to do for our celebrity challenge this week it's teen pop sensation time again we're very lucky to have the four walthamstow wonders terry john brian and anthony he's 17 and playing this game it's the walthamstow wonders it's east 17 uh who look like proper dickheads but there's a big old reaction from them from the crowd if take that were wholesome tremble your mother's knees boys East 17, they were the they were the dirty dark secret that, you know, used to be kept down the back of your mum's dresser out of sight. I was told by kids at school, because I like I as much as I understand it, E17 or E17 is basically like the postcode that they're from, right? Like that's their area of London. But I was told when I was at school that it was a drugs thing, because it was E for ecstasy. I think E17 was the postcode, and then E17 it was building into the culture that was growing. So yeah, E for ecstasy. But the entire group really hangs around Tony Mortimer. 
because in 1991, he was shopping some of his demos around, some of his songs. He was promised a record deal with London Records, but it was granted under the condition that he formed a group. Right. Because that's the format that London Records wanted. They didn't want another solo artist. They could clearly see that New Kids on the Block, Take That and other boy bands were out there and they wanted some more of the same, even if it was the bad boys of Walthamstow. So he formed a band with Brian Harvey, John Hendy and Terry Coldwell. Yeah, it was the postcode of Walthamstow. And whilst Brian Harvey became the lead singer because of his vocal talent, Mortimer still wrote the majority of the group's songs, but wrote them to play to Harvey's more fluid vocals while adding rap verses that he could then add and contribute something to the actual performance aspects of the songs. Yeah, Jay from Five, I think, had sort of a similar thing. So I think, I think if, if I remember correctly, Jay was like five years older than everyone else. Like he was like a proper adult hanging around with these sort of like kids in, in Five. But he was sort of the, the veteran of the thing. So he was doing a lot of the music and a lot of the writing. And whichever one of the was, it was a Five, was the front kid. And he was just sort of at the back to be the sort of bad boy dad, I guess, to sort of like make sure they all stay in line and write the music for them. And so, yeah, so I, I, he just basically filled that same role within E17. And they had shaved heads, they had tattoos, they were bad boys, as opposed to the clean cut music factory style output of Take That. And there was a war. This predated Blur versus Oasis. But unlike Blur and Oasis, behind the scenes, Take That and E17 kind of got on. Yeah, that's kind of brought up in the interview that they have on here, where they basically be like, you know, you know, take that. They were here. Have you got anything to say about, you know, if they're better gamers or stuff? And it's about, yeah, you know, they're better gamers than us. And the thing is, let's be honest, behind the scenes, they were probably all doing the same amount of drugs anyway. It's just oh, yeah. take that had far better handlers that were better at putting the polish on it <laughs> for a while. The veneer yeah. did drop in about two, three years' time. I was going to say these lads fall off the wagon pretty, pretty quickly. It's uh, there's only so many, there's only so much puffer jackets can save you. I mean, by 1997, if we skip ahead four years, Brian Harvey was sacked from the band after making comments on radio that were essentially deemed pro ecstasy. Although eventually he did rejoin the band, at which point they were just known as E17. So completely yeah. removing the postcode <laughs> and just going, yeah, kids, drugs. Drugs are cool. Right, soundbiting that, posting that to Twitter, <laughs> taken out of context. Luke, it started with stealing porn mags. Now you're endorsing drugs. It's a real dark side episode. Dark side of the pod. <laughs> It's with E17, you might be able to like list some songs off for me and I'll be like, oh yeah, no, I remember that one. But actually, really, it's Stay is the only song that I could tell you off the top of my head that is an E17 song. And that's because I hear it every year at Christmas. That's the one that definitely comes up as well. And the music video is all black and white and they're in their white puffy jackets with their white hats and their white trousers. And wow, <laughs> it's a Bing Crosby Coke Fest white video. <laughs> But they did have other songs. They had House of Love, Deep, It's All Right, just to name three of the songs mentioned on their Wikipedia page. <laughs> e17 did get a bit political. They wrote songs with some undertones about war, equality, love, the Maastricht Treaty. How many wow. boy bands wrote songs about the Maastricht Treaty? But 
I guess therein comes the rub of what happens when you have a songwriter who's only formed a band because that's what the label wants. They want a boy band. They like his talent. So he toes the line. And arguably, they were a very coherent and cohesive unit up to a point. And when we see them come down in this, no one feels like the odd man out. And they clearly are all friends and they get on well. Yeah, but I would say, like, take that when they were on this show earlier in the season, I think took to their roles much easier than E17 do. Like, take that feel like a very rehearsed unit. You know, like, Robbie had that sort of shtick where he was talking directly down to the lens of the camera and, you know, doing the sort of fake Academy speech. They had the stuff about Danny Minogue in there. These lads don't have answers to any of Dominic's questions, and they just sort of mumble... And then just sort of like look to the other to be like, oh, can you say something instead? E17 are the Beatles in Hamburg and take that are the monkeys. Mm, yeah. Because the Beatles in Hamburg, they were rough and ready. They they were still wearing leather jackets. It's before they'd got the grey suits and the taking a bow thing. They were, they were bad boys. But the monkeys were very produced from the offset, much like take that. And oh, yeah. were very well handled to the point where you could almost see the strings. To be honest, I did not like them on this show. And I don't know if that's just, you know, pre-episode watching Prejudice because I'm not an E17 fan, but they just came across as a, a bunch of dickheads. And I thought they looked like dickheads, I thought they were acting like dickheads. One of them's just leaning against the dials. And they, it kind of gave the impression that none of them wanted to be there. I think what they've encapsulated... And let's be honest, what we to a degree are trying to deny is that's actually what a lot of guys that age were really like in the early 90s. There was a lot of disillusionment left over from the 80s. There was a level of belligerence. That's what they were doing. And in hindsight, and also because I look back at some of the stuff I did as a teenager and thought, Christ, what a dickhead. Mm -hmm. I look back at these guys and think, Christ, what a bunch of dickheads. I, I feel bad for Dominic here. Like, he's struggling to get through this. And it's not even like a long segment. It's, you know, it's 10, 15 seconds. But he, oh, hey, can we have a, have a bit of banter here? There's four lads here. We can have a bit of banter. And they're just like, oh, okay. Maybe I could talk to this one. Nope, he's got nothing to say either. It's like, bloody hell, I'll go talk to Dave Perry then if that's what it's going to take. This was right at the beginning of their career as well. And I'm sure if we go and look at interviews from 93, 94 and 95 they will probably still be kind of bad boys but i bet you they'll be much more likable much more forthcoming and better okay then while he's 17 and i compare fashion tips if you want to find out how they do join us after the break you can't always see black eyes But at least in a BMW, you can hear it. BMW. Available with... This is now 24 with E17. Take that and sub sub. Duran Duran, Annie Lennox, Simply Red and Sheba Ranks. Now 24 with Arrested Development, Lenny Kravitz and Snow. Ugly Kid Joe and the number one hits from 2 Unlimited, The Bluebells and Shaggy. 37 top chart hits on Now 24. That's what I call music. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Which of these people have sensitive teeth? They all do. As your dentist will tell you, it's a common problem. She uses Fresh Taste Sensodyne Acid Floral. I use it every day and it helps keep my breath fresh. Sensodyne F's special ingredient quickly helps calm the nerves that cause pain. Now they all use fresh tasting Sensodyne F to relieve the pain of sensitive teeth. Welcome back. We are here with Chart Busting Sensations East 17 about to put their skills on Contra 3. In the commentary box with me, I have my very own chart sensation, Dave the Kid Perry from Superpro. Welcome, Dave. Hi, Dominic. Now, Dave, any tips here? It's quite a tough challenge, this. It is a tough challenge. It's, uh, there's, there's plenty of action in this game, but, you know, they've got plenty of time, so if they take it easy and just think about the challenges, then they might have more luck than they, than they did choosing hats for today. You're a fine one to talk. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then, what they have to do, they have four lives, one each 17 member per life in a relay situation. They've got to get to the end of the level and defeat the Guardian. Are you ready then, guys? Okay, yeah. Anthony, off you go. Well, speaking of likable bad boys, Dave Perry is in the booth for color commentary on this one. And Dave Perry clearly does not like these lads because he talks about the game and then just wants to make fun of their hats. I reckon it's because he likes to be the bad boy of Games Master. <laughs> and these guys turn up and they're going to steal his lunch money. <laughs> He says the Contra is a game that's plenty of action, but there's plenty of time here because this isn't a timed challenge. They've basically just got to get through the level without dying. So Dave's, you know, take it easy, which is pretty solid advice when trying to get through this when it is a game that's rushing is not going to be your friend on this level. No, this game is definitely a case of slowly, slowly catchy monkey. Don't run blindly right on the screen because you will run into enemy gunfire because they will shoot at you from off the screen. Stop, look, listen, duck, strafe. That's the way through this level. Exactly. And like, if you have not played a Contra or a Probotector game before, it's a one hit death game. If you get hit, you are dead. And then you have a certain set of lives, you lose those lives, then it is over. You're shot, you're dead. And it doesn't matter whether it hits your leg or hits your arm or hits your head, you're done. 
which is unfortunately how Anthony goes out. He He's up first. He grabs the spread gun and then just dies. And then he passes it to Brian and Brian dies. And I thought, oh dear, these lads are not going to get very far with this. But thankfully, John's much better than the others. And he gets past the first wall. He gets into the tank and he gets past the second wall, but then gets killed. Terry's up next, but they're only at the halfway point at this stage of the challenge. He does get a shield, which is going to help them a little bit and gets the laser, makes it past the midpoint boss. Uh, finally gets the spread gun, but he balls it up a jump and he falls into the flames and the challenge is sadly over. Literally crashes and burns. And let's be honest, the only reason he missed time that jump is because the other three are being dickheads. Yeah, they're like pushing him around and everything and trying to like, you know, make him fail and touching his hat and whatnot. Oh, lads, 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 <laughs> lads, lads. Bad luck, guys. It got very, very close towards the end. Let, talk us through it. Anthony, you were first stop. Yeah, just all come on top for me, really. <laughs> Came uh, from every direction, yeah. I think. Lots of noise, I couldn't concentrate and I just can't play it and I'm no good and I wish I never bothered. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, now let's, go on. let's go to John. Any comments on your performance? Not really. <laughs> well, at, at, this, at this point, you were in dire straits, but... I didn't even get a chance to push <laughs> the fire button. I was dead before anything happened. That's why I was going to pass swiftly over that, but this is the man who got you out of it, really, Terry. What can I say? You got really, really close. What happened at the end there? I don't know, I had Anthony pushing the chair forward, I had Brian in my ear roll, I had John pulling me out off, so I like... Oh well, I had everyone screaming, so it'll come Oh well, boys will be boys, eh? They got closer in the end, I suppose, and they, they do some pretend crying in the post-match interview. There's too much noise, that was the problem. It's those darn kids that were the problem, really. The kids cheering and his mates behind him acting like dickheads. And Dom's comment, boys will be boys. All right, well, listen, unfortunately... We can't give you the golden joystick, but I think there's someone who has a little bit of a surprise for one of you. Please welcome Auntie Marisha. <laughs> I know you've nominated your favourite East 17 member for, for a little surprise. Who's it going to be? Terry. It's going to be Terry. What have you got to say about that, Terry? You can pick a surprise from Auntie oh. Marisha's trolley. <laughs> uh, I'll take this one. Cheers. You're going to take that one? Yeah. All right, lovely. Let's have another round of applause for Auntie Marisha and our special guest, he's 17. But you know what? It's okay, because they may not be getting the Games Master Golden Joystick, but Auntie Marisha comes out to save the segment, and she's got treats for everyone. Well, no, she's got a treat for a favourite. Here's the thing. There are definitely loads of treats on that table that everyone could have a treat, but for whatever reason... Auntie Marisha has decided that only one person can have a treat from the cart. And it's Terry. Terry is her favourite. Terry is her <laughs> special boy. So he picks out a treat and then pushes it into Brian's face, which is actually pretty funny. It is. It's also not a bad fate for the treat because there were some delicious looking cakes on that trolley and he chose a Viennese whirl. They're not even from Vienna. They're a treat that was made popular by that bastard Mr Kipling. <laughs> He could have sampled one of Auntie Marisha's cream horns. I was genuinely suspecting that there was nothing real on that tray, that it was just brought out to be a gag for them to pick up, you know, some fake food and stuff. So when he pushed it into Brian's face, and it was like his face was then covered in cream, I was like, oh, that's great. That is brilliant. That it, they were it was a genuine tray of treats. And that moment was one of the only moments in this challenge that I like those arseholes. That, that same here, same here. That's my note. I was like, oh, actually, that's quite likeable. But Dominic Diamond is left to tidy up the mess and lament the sad state of the English music industry. Yeah, I don't think Dom's a fan of them. Although 
Maybe he is. We'll find out from the Star Riggers section in the Games Master official book. They are actually, they make it very early in. They're in Star Riggers 1, which is only them and the Gladiators. So here's what Dominic had to say. These four young scamps came onto the rig all the way from the wrong side of the tracks in Walthamstow. The boys played Super Probotector on the SNES, a game which is particularly tough, so they each had one life to complete the first level. Like Take That, there was a marked division in games playing skill, with Brian and Tony being zapped in quick succession, John doing a bit better, and Terry being nigh on outstanding. They didn't win the challenge, but Terry at least got one of Auntie Marisha's cakes as a consolation prize. Can't complain. Games playing skills, four stars for Terry, three stars for John, one star for the others, and three stars for personal niceness. I'm going to presume that as a whole. Maybe, as I said, because early in their career, they still weren't quite as comfortable doing the interview segments, but backstage in the green room, they probably sampled some more of Auntie M's treats. Maybe yeah. they went for that cream horn, and, and they just <laughs> had a good old time with Dom. But he may not be a fan of their music, but it's time to head into the consultation zone, or if you do this on Google Sheets, uh, it gets auto-corrected every single time to consolidation zone. I see. I sometimes get consolation. Oh, really? No, mine always auto-corrects itself to consolidation zone. And it winds me up every single time because I thought I've written, you know, 30 odd documents in this drive that's had the word consultation in it. Know that that's what I mean. Need to add it to the custom dictionary, mate. No, that's too much information. They should, Google should just know. I mean, they're already reading all our emails anyway. Can't they at least <laughs> learn from it? Hello, Games Master. Hello. And just what is your particular problem? I'm totally stuck on level 18 of Pushover. Can you tell me the solution? When you enter the level, pick up the explosive tile nearest you and swap it with the tile on the platform below so that the blank tile is now where the explosive one was. Hmm, I see now. Mm, yes, sir. Next, uh, take the other blank tile from below and place it to the left of the tiles above. Now, all you have to do is to push them over and wait by the door that will lead you to the next level. Thanks. Sometimes my genius amazes even me. <laughs> Our first kid is stuck on level 18 of pushover. You've got to replace the blank one with an exploding one. Uh, then GM has a bit of a think. Hmm, yes. Mm -hmm. Take the blanks, put them at the top, push them over. Brilliant game. Brilliant game. Brilliant hint. Brilliant bit of character work as Games Master word up his backup hard drives to get this one through. Mm, yes, what do I do next? Yeah, and it's something I've noticed as we've got later into the season is Patrick Moore is actually growing into the role even more. There's a segment coming up in a couple of episodes' time which genuinely had me rolling with laughter. <laughs> well, blow me. I'm terribly sorry. I think you've come to the wrong place. Next, please. What perhaps was probably funny in 1993, but I'm not sure holds up as comedy here in the year 2020, a chicken is there. Uh, well, blow me. And then it grows big and flies away. I mean, that's a weird bloody chicken that it flies away. <laughs> also, given our previously established questions about Games Master's relative size, that's a big goddamn chicken. It's a big... I don't know what they're feeding things on that rig. Why isn't Auntie M cooking that chicken? We'd have something to eat, Luke. Well, I would. <laughs> you can have the skin. It's not really meat. <laughs> Hello, Games Master. On Pinball Fantasies, is there any way I can make the game last longer? Always looking for shortcuts, eh? 
I suppose I might as well tell you. You'll find out sooner or later. When the game is scrolling down, showing you the table, quickly type extra balls for, <laughs> you guessed it, <laughs> extra balls. You should now be able to amass a truly whopping score. Great, thanks. Which means we only actually have two entries in the consultation zone this week with our second and final kid wanting some cheats for pinball fantasies to make the game last longer. Basically type extra balls to get extra balls. Hopefully this will help the kid get a whopping score because I'd hate to think we'd see him back in an episode or two's time (laughs) because he's still failing miserably at this game. That'd be terrible, wouldn't it, Luke? Well, I'm sure that's the last we'll see of him. Foreshadowing. (laughs) As we head into our final challenge of the evening, what are we playing, Games Master? Back so soon. For the last challenge, I've opted for a good old-fashioned bout of fisticuffs on Evander Holyfield Boxing. The rules couldn't be simple. The first knockout wins. Please ensure the Queen's Body rules are strictly adhered to. So we're playing Evander Holyfield's Boxing. Uh, first knockout wins. I don't think this game was reviewed particularly well when it came out. It might have even been reviewed on this show and didn't get a good score. Don't think it got reviewed on this show, but Me Machines did give it 52%. And it's amazing it's a shonky product, given it came from Acme Interactive. Did it really? Yeah. Now, I know in the real world, Acme as a word does actually mean pinnacle, great, wonderful, top of the line or whatever it is. But when I think of Acme, and I assume when you think of Acme, I think of <laughs> that Wiley Coyote uses to try and go for Roadrunner that never works. Absolutely. They should have thought of that before they became games developers. Or maybe they knew how they were as games developers and so thought, let's go with what we know. However, they did get a second bite of the apple. They did a sequel called Greatest Heavyweights that followed up in 1994, which apparently featured a number of improvements. Ah, if if, if you say so. No, Wikipedia does. <laughs> For this Pugnacious Challenge, we are giving further proof that brothers and sisters don't actually get on. Please welcome Craig and Kirsty Monroe. Yeah! Welcome, young man. <laughs> right now, Craig, first of all, tell me a little bit about these dazzlingly white T-shirts you've got on. Oh, they're just basically from our karate club. So I... both of you do karate? Yes. So do you think you could give me a kicking? All right, now listen, Kirsty, my little sister Teresa is far too angelic to even think about fighting. What about you and Craig? We fight all the time. All the time, and who usually wins? Craig normally wins. Well, Craig, I think you must be the favourite then. Yep. Well, they say that brothers and sisters don't get on, but Craig and Kirsty Monroe may prove them wrong. And if you're sitting there thinking, huh, it's a brother-sister combo on Games Master playing a fighting game, and you're thinking, oh... Is it that one? Yes, folks, it's that one. It's the challenge that was used as the linchpin of the Eurogamer article on Games Master, the retrospective, which, look, I think it's fair to say this podcast might not exist without that article. Yeah, yeah. Because the article itself gave us a grounding and also 
helped with names and timeframes and was an incredibly useful resource. It's a great Ellie Gibson article for a while. We'll put a link for it in the podcast description because it's really, really well worth a read. Fantastic interviews with the people that worked on the show, both in front and behind the cameras. And yeah, uh, poor Craig Monroe here, who essentially got screwed on this challenge. He really did because they come down and Dominic asks Craig about his white t-shirt, which is from his karate club, which Kirsty is also a member of. So not only are they brother and sister that fight, they fight with karate. Mm -hmm. Dom asks if they could give him a kicking and Craig says yes. Then Dom turns to Kirsty and says that his sister is far too angelic to think about fighting and asks if the same is true of her and Craig. She says they fight all the time, but Craig normally wins. And that's where we understand what the production team decided was the angle they were going to go for. Absolutely, yeah. That really sets them up there because at that point, you don't want to have Craig win again. You, the, the story is so much nicer of Kirsty's, particularly then when you get into the post-match interview and Kirsty could be like, I finally got revenge for all the fights that he wins at home. The underdog story. And the springing my step is definitely more buoyant, which can only mean Jane Goldman from Game Zones with me again. Welcome, Jane. Hi. Now, Jane, I've got two young competitors here. How can you help them? Well, the most important things for them to remember are firstly to alternate the sides they punch on because it will make it harder for their opponent to block their jabs. Right. And also don't be afraid of running away because you need to replenish your energy. Okay, let's hope they bear that in mind. So basically, two people come out fighting. One of them is left standing at the end. That one is the winner. But before we get to that, Jane Goldman is in the booth making Dominic Diamond feel buoyant. She suggests that you alternate the sides that you punch on and you can run away to replenish your energy. We get a lot of Jane Goldman for the next few weeks and it is really really nice to see her in the booth it is and you can tell a lot of this was filmed in one day because she's wearing the same outfit throughout yeah she has not got like the neil west like cavalcade of sega jumpers that he can change into i just love the fact that neil west probably just has to quickly nip behind a pipe and go oh quick change a jumper <laughs> turn this t-shirt back to front so they can't see the logo and yeah <laughs> So we've had a couple of boxing challenges on this show before, and it's a bit like the Panzer kickboxing one. They called it Panzer Dragoon for a second. And the Panzer kickboxing one we had back in series one, which is just lots of punch, punch, punch. Sometimes it's even, sometimes it's less even. Not a lot of defending. Lots of punching and button mashing. Craig goes down, mashes A to get back up. Kirsty then strings together some blows and knocks him down again. That's it. Challenge is over. He's lost. Kirsty wins. Or did he? Because as they used in the opening of the Eurogamer article, Craig Munro's 10-year-old heart was pounding in his chest. The unfamiliar controller trembled in his sweaty grip. He stared wide-eyed at the screen, too nervous to blink, too terrified to breathe. Beside him, his elder sister Kirsty hammered the buttons on her own controller like a rabid pianist. Craig watched the numbers tick up. Two, three, four... He thought of the letter that had brought him to this moment, the one he had written several months ago to the producers of Games Master, his favourite television show. I drew an illustration of some guy from Nintendo World Cup on the NES scoring a goal. The adult Craig remembers today. I thought that would draw them in. He was right. The producers invited Craig and his friend Steve to travel up to London from their native Brighton for an audition. But Steve couldn't make it, so Kirsty went instead. It was a simple twist of fate that would cast a longer shadow than anyone could have imagined. Five, six, seven, eight... Nine, ten, the screen flashed scarlet, and that was it. Craig had done it. He had secured the trophy most coveted by every ten-year-old in the land, a golden joystick. OK, said the producer, let's go for another take. Mm. And, spoilers, another take. Yes, because Craig wins the second one, right? Yep, and then a call for a third take, 
And that one, Kirsty wins, and the producer goes, that's a wrap. That's the one we got. Now, first of all, Craig, what happened there? You must have been given it a chance. The NG bar wouldn't let me get up in time. It certainly didn't there, because your sister was horrible to you. Tell us what you were doing there. Well, I was using some combinations, and that got him down quite easily. And eventually I got revenge for the fights at home. Kirsty, not only have you managed to stick one on your brother, you go home with the Gordon Gamesmaster joystick! I will say this for Craig, he's a good sport about the losing and sort of the retaping and the reshuffling around and the various different takes that you do because he doesn't like, you know, say, hey, you kind of screwed me a little bit here. I, I beat, I won. I won the first two. Instead, he just talks about like, you know, he blames the energy bar for, for going down too quickly and not letting him get back up. Kirsty says that she was stringing together combos and finally got her revenge for all those fights at home. They got the narrative that they wanted to portray on the screen. And I doubt this is the only time it happened or will happen. No. But you know what? That is the curse of any kind of unscripted television. They have to make the narrative up on the go. The reality televisions, the Big Brothers, the Jersey Shore, the Geordie Shore, Deadliest Catch, take your pick of whichever reality show that you want to go for. If they can manipulate it to make better or more compelling television, they will. While I don't think the challenge is particularly great because it's not a great game and it is just, you know, smashing buttons to make the men do the punches, it's quite a fun little story. I'd argue that I think they made the right choice from a storytelling point of view it's compelling but at the same time i can't help but feel so sorry for him knowing what we know and knowing what kids like i mean we you know we spoke with dan last week what kids can be like when you appear on television and you don't get the best portrayal of yourself the stick that you must have gotten is oh i can't even begin to think what it would have been like yeah Dreaded dinner gong again. We're going down for some of Auntie Marisha's latest cuisine. A finger buffet of quail's nipples tonight. Don't miss next week. We've got some impromptu entertainment from none other than Josie Lawrence. It's sure to be a big spunky one, so don't miss it. Good night. Well, we've got a finger buffet of quail's nipples on the uh, the menu this week. I have confirmed quails don't have nipples. I have no idea what Auntie Marisha's cooking. Can we just have something from the tray of treats that E17 got? Like, why aren't we having that for the dinner gong? Mate, for all we know, they're made out of trout brine and quail's asses. <laughs> well, Josie Lawrence is going to be on the show next week for some proper improv, which is going to be a lot of fun. And apparently a big spunky one. <laughs> So that's it. That is episode 21 of series two in the books. Ash, what did you make of it? I thought it was a really solid episode overall. Nothing exceptional. However, what elevates it is the importance of that last challenge as being one of the few recorded incidents of the games being rigged. Yeah. So from that point alone, I'm going to elevate my score of it a little bit. I'd have given this episode a solid 80%, mm-hmm. but it gets a bonus 9% for the importance wow. of that last challenge. It's an 89, dude. It's an 89. Man, that's much higher than I was expecting. I thought this episode was like, you're right, like solid throughout. But I didn't, I, I was kind of perturbed perhaps by the E17 challenge because I didn't like them. Well, I thought the challenge was quite good. The Bill's Tomato game one was a, a fun little opener, you know, kind of sort of precursor flash game sort of thing. 
it's funny when I, whenever you talk to people about Games Master and sort of like people's memories of it, it is funny how often this boxing challenge does come up because people will have read that Eurogamer article and mentioned, oh, there was that challenge where the, the brother got screwed out of winning and they gave it to his sister instead and he got massively bullied for it at school. So I think as a landmark episode, it is an important one. But as an episode overall, I wasn't massively enthralled by it. So I was actually going to go mid-70s. I was going to go 75 for it. I mean, that's fair, because you know what? The average of our two scores probably means we meet somewhere in the middle. Hmm. But that is going to do it for this week's episode. Thank you all so much for listening. Please do consider giving us a rating and a review and pressing that little subscribe button and getting the episodes every single week. We really, really do appreciate it. You can find us over on Twitter at underconsolepod, on Instagram at under.console. And we've got a Discord, a link for which is in the description down below. Ash, why don't you tell the good fine people about our Patreon page? Well, on our Patreon page, which by the way, We've now reached our first goal on and we'll be doing a bonus podcast episode once a month on other 90s television shows. So thanks to all of you that contributed to that. First up is going to be The Crystal Maze. Yes. How exciting is that? I was So it was neck and neck, basically, because we had a poll of four. We had The Crystal Maze. We had Funhouse, Krypton Factor, and we had an episode of Gladiators. And at the end of the first poll, it was neck and neck between Gladiators and the Crystal Maze. So we put up a second poll and I was quietly willing for Crystal Maze to win because I really, really want to go back and rewatch an episode of that. So that is patreon.com forward slash under console pod. Sign up at any amount and you'll get that episode in the feed. And we have three levels you can support us at. At the £1 level, you get our love and that bonus episode. At a £5 level, you get all episodes one week early and ad-free and our love and at the 10 pound level love bonus episodes and a merch pack which while not quite as good i would say as a crystal from the crystal maze pretty close yeah you can do at least one thing with our patreon pack that you can't do with a crystal from the crystal maze you can drink a cup of tea out of it or play (laughs) pogs or sticker things sticker your cat your mirror your laptop your yourself Maybe not the cat. Also badges (laughs) and retro suites and a discount voucher for our first Under Consultation t-shirt, which is available right now at underconsultation.com and supplies of the current run are limited. A shout out to those £10 backers, Phil Stopford, Simon, Nick, Sean, Adam, Adam, Cliff, Rich, Gordon, William and Misha. Thank you all so much for being awesome backers over on Patreon. Thank you to every single person who has listened to this show. If you'd like to get in touch with us, feedback at underconsultation.com is the email address to send something over to. But until then, Ash, I guess we'll see you in seven days time with Josie Lawrence. Indeed. And hopefully by that point, we'll have worked out exactly what quail's nipples are (laughs) take care everyone good night
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 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 Mm